Okay, so my first question for you, are you, are you um, thinking about papers? And uh, trying not to? <laughs> so here's a question for you. Do you guys want a paper topic? There'd only be one. So you can either, you can decide now. I can give you a paper topic, and that would be the paper topic that everyone would write on, the way on your first paper you wrote on Pascal. Um, it's a good paper topic. It's one that will cause you to think. Or the other possibility is we can do my usual practice, which is you can decide what it is you want to write about. But um, it's one or the other for all of you. And we can't hear the paper topic? No. 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 No, that's your take-home final. What, you didn't realize there were two things you still had to write? Could we choose each person's own, and then hear what you had to find as a suggestion? Nope. Um, I vote, give us a paper topic. Yeah, I don't think of one. I don't think of one. I was I don't think of three or own. I like the free poem. No, you said you had a good paper topic. I believe in them. I think it's a good paper topic. Yeah, Neil. Yeah. Well, okay, so here, I'll let me. Even numbers? Yes. One thing that um, I should say about your Pascal papers is that um, as, a, as a group, as a set of people, um, as a class of people, as a class really, I guess that's what I would call you, a class, um, you guys actually made really good use of different things that we'd already read so far that weren't obviously related to Pascal. Um, but that uh, made sense in the way you were thinking about and analyzing Pascal. Um, so the paper topic I have in mind um, will be in some ways like that and will enable you. The paper topic I have in mind, I have it in mind because they're, um, a lot, it's really interesting in itself and there are a lot of different ways to relate it to a lot of different things that we have read. Um, so that's what would make it a good paper topic. Um, so how many people, I was going, remember I said I was going to give you a paper topic and that's what you were going to write on. So this is your chance, if you want to as a majority, um, not do that, not have me give you a paper topic. Now's your chance to speak. Otherwise, we will revert to the default, which is that I give you one. So how many people would like not to be given a paper topic? Um, okay, so we're going to revert to the default. You'll like it. Okay, so the default is I want you to write about something which is called Newcomb's problem or Newcomb's paradox, but I do not want you to look it up. So no Wikipedia. So we should guess what it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just from, from that name you should guess. Now, yeah, you don't have to know what it's called, but I'm telling you that it is called something Newcomb's problem or Newcomb's paradox. But do not look it up. Do, don't. Do not. Not to. Some people actually did look up Pascal's wager in Wikipedia. Um, and so I want to be firmer than I was before. Even firmer. As firm as I can convince you that I am. Um, don't go reading on this. Do it yourself. So here, yeah. Uh, were you saying something? I was saying something, okay. but go ahead. Yeah, I was going to ask if you could ask other Please people proceed, who Governor. already know what it is. Sorry? Could, can you ask other people who might already know what it is? Because that's not exactly looking it up. Um, no. <laughs> you can't. Does anyone here know what it is? I have no from my philosophy of religion class. Okay, good. Um, interesting, isn't it? So 
So I'm going to tell you what it is. So here's the situation. And um, you could, if you want, if you're so inclined, you can, you can treat this in any way as long as you treat it seriously. You could, if you're so inclined, write a short story um, in which the um, major issue that, the, that your character will confront is a newcomb's situation. Yeah. Regardless of the fact that I was in a class where we already studied this. Yes. So we're technically kind of able to make something up that sounds like it could fit based on the rest of the things we've done in this class. <laughs> so Regardless of, of me having notes, if I decided yes. not to revert to yeah. my notes, because it's not something I really remember. We yeah, good. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, here, so I'm about to give you the scenario. I'm about to give you the bare bones scenario of Newcombs. And then what you need to do is, is um, make a choice. It's kind of like Pascal. Um, make a choice um, and argue for that choice. So here's the situation. Um, I'm trying to think if I want to even start hinting at things that we've talked about that, that connect up to it. But I think it'll be, um, I won't, because these are things that you can discover on your own if you like. So here's a scenario. There's a Martian anthropologist, a Martian anthropologist. Her name is Martina because she's from Mars. And um, she is um, an odd mixture of generosity and indifference towards human beings. So do, does anyone know the old TV show The Millionaire, which they reprised fairly recently, um, but it didn't, wasn't a hit? So the way The Millionaire worked, and Martina has seen The Millionaire and got the idea from it, um, it was a weekly show, and the way it worked was that once a week, um, the, um, per a person who worked, who was the secretary for an anonymous millionaire, would pick someone to give them a million dollars and to see what would happen. If, now, this was when a million dollars was real money, when The Millionaire came out. Um, so think of it as like $10 million now. Um, so someone would get a million dollars completely unexpectedly. Um, they, the um, secretary for the millionaire, who we never saw, we only saw him from the back of his armchair, um, and the secretary would take his instructions. Did you ever watch it, George? Do you know no, it? Have you ever heard of it? Okay, so he would come with an envelope, and in the envelope was a cashier's check. That's where I first heard of cashier's checks. A cashier's check for a million dollars payable to the person who got it. This person would get a million dollars. You know, usually the first couple of minutes of the episode would be, you know, disbelief, what's going on, um, what is this, some kind of joke? Um, but eventually they would see it was a cashier's check for a million dollars. They'd get a million dollars, and then the show was basically about um, what happened to their lives after they got this million dollars, which was genuinely bad stuff. Um, it was a real show? Yeah, it, was a real, it wasn't a real million dollars. It was fiction. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, that is the most now, now, there's a new book. Every, every few years there's a book out about what happens to lottery winners and, and how terrible their lives are. So this was this was a fictional TV show before that ever happened about what how your life. There was a, a documentary film crew that gave six hundred thousand to a homeless man yeah. and followed him, yeah. and six months later he was broken back in the same place when they found him. I thought it was like a hundred thousand dollars. Well, at least at least it wasn't worse. At least it wasn't worse. There's there's a. <laughs> we we can digress in this class. I don't know if you've noticed. But we won't at this point. So, 
In The Millionaire, the show was always about what would happen when someone got a million dollars. The most interesting one that I saw was when someone who was um, on death row and was going to be executed a week hence got the million dollars. Um, and he did the best thing with it. Um, I don't know what it was. He gave it to charity or something. But um, he was still executed, but he went to his death feeling um, that he'd done something good just before he died and reconciled to what was going to happen to him. Um, but all the, all the um, sort of good people who are living lives of virtuous poverty or virtuous hard work, they would get a million dollars and they would go down the drain. So week after week after week, this was a show telling you why it was bad to get a million dollars. And week after week after week, I was thinking it was fine. I wouldn't make those mistakes. It would be okay. Um, at any rate, um, Martina, our Martian, has seen this show. She, she kind of um, likes the idea. And she's also an incredibly good, despite her coldness, or maybe because of her coldness. See, I'm giving you the fictional version, but it's, I just want you to think about it. Um, she's an incredibly good reader of human beings. That is, she's really good at scoping out a human being at a glance, um, taking one look at you and knowing what kind of person you are. You don't have to write all this down. I'm just, this is the elaborate setup, but it doesn't have to be elaborate. All you need to know is this entity has never been wrong in a prediction that it makes. So Martina has never been wrong in a prediction that she makes about what you will do in a certain situation. So is this striking? Yeah, I just realized that I've heard of this before. Okay. Um, I knew you had. I could tell. Um, so she's never been wrong in a prediction that, she's ma that she makes. And what she's never been wrong about in particular, and she has done this now, um, 100,000 times or more, roughly 100,000 times. What she's never been wrong about is what will happen in the following situation. So this is what you have to pay attention to because the situation's a tricky one. You've, you remember it too? Oh, okay. Um, the situation's a tricky one. The situation is she tells you to go to um, a bridge that crosses... Um, a gulf at the Reichenbach Falls, let's just say. Um, and on the parapet of this bridge, on the parapet of this bridge, are two boxes. One box is made of, I don't know, um, um, clear plastic. And in it, you can see, is $10,000. And it's really there, $10,000 right there, real money, coin of the realm, as Casper Gutman says in the Maltese Falcon. Um, the real thing, lots of money. Now, if you need to, I'll just say parenthetically, and I can say this again in a minute more elaborately, if you need to, you can change what's in that box so that it's something that would really make a difference to you, um, but not life-changingly. So something that you would really, it would really suck to give up for no reason at all. But not the kind of difference that you couldn't see some way of wanting more. So ways that I've put this is to say, look, you could have um, a I cure for... Sorry? College tuition. College tuition for a year, but if you're more into social justice because you're at Brandeis, a cure for juvenile diabetes. You know, something like that. Something that really matters and yet won't completely change the entire, um, change everything. A cure Again. for diabetes wouldn't change everything? No, it wouldn't change everything compared to 
what might or might not be in the opaque box. So again, the standard way of doing it the way economists do it is to say $10,000 in one box, a million dollars or nothing in the opaque box. But you could say a cure for juvenile diabetes in one box and world peace in the opaque box. So most people would think world peace is more important than a cure for juvenile diabetes, important as that is. Um, and if you could only get one, what you would want is what might be in the box, but that into which you cannot see. Okay? So there are two boxes. One has something that's right there, real, valuable. It would be really great to get it. The other has something which you can't see or it's empty. The thing that might be in the other box or might not is something which is a couple of orders of magnitude more valuable than what's in the box that you can see. So something that's terrific, you can see. Something that would be really sweet and wonderful to have, you can see. And then something which is overwhelmingly sweeter and more wonderful might be in the other box or might not. Okay, so you follow that so far? So she sends you a telegram or an email, I guess you moderns would say. Um, she sends you a message saying, go to this bridge over the Reichenbach Falls. And what you'll find there on a parapet at this bridge are these two boxes. Now, I've made a prediction about what you're going to do when you get there based on everything that I know about you and everything I can predict about you, including the fact that I'm telling you that I've made this prediction based on et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. In other words, you are completely up to date on what she knows you will know when you get to the edge of the parapet, which is that she knows you will know everything I've just told you about. She's done this a hundred or more thousand times. She's always gotten it right. Yeah. No, not that she knows that she's made a no, prediction. Yes. Yeah. Everything I've told you, she tells you. Um, if you, I mean, the the idea would be to get it right. You have to know that this sort of thing has happened many times before, so you don't have to trust her. Um, or she tells you, you know, go read um, the the Borgesian um, um, annals of. Of 1900 to 2011, and you'll see how many times I've done this before. That is, you can you can confirm you can confirm her past success. At absolute, never has there been an exception to her success at predicting what people will do. You know all this. So everything I've told you, everything that I'm now stipulating, you actually know when you get the email from her, and she knows you know it. Um, yeah. No. No, she won't tell you her prediction. She only has told you that she's made a prediction and that you can find out what her prediction is very easily. Yeah. Um, has she, um, has she, can you confirm whether she has ever put the actual object in the opaque box in the past? Does yeah, she, yeah. Let's say it doesn't matter, but boxes? we, you could, sorry? Is she the one who made the boxes? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And she put things in them? Mm-hmm. Okay. No. 
So, so you can confirm that, say, approximately fifty percent of the time. Are we, is, are we saying like? No, just it's the correlation. Just make it finite. It could be 50% of the time. But it, for a finite number of In fact, it turns out that in reality, people don't break down at 50-50, but it's close enough, so let's say approximately 50% of the time. Okay. Um, and we have access to Yeah, we know that about 50% of the time, she's put stuff in the opaque box. Um, based on her prediction about what you're going to do. And, and the other 50% of the time she's predicted that the um, subject of this experiment will do the other thing, and she's put nothing in the opaque box. So when she's predicted that you will do, I haven't told you what A and B are yet, but I think you're guessing. When she predicts you will do, um, you will, you will do action A, she puts stuff in the opaque box. When she predicts that someone will do action B, of the two possible actions, she doesn't put stuff in the opaque box. And um, about half the time, people have done A, and they have found stuff in the opaque box. Half the time, they have not done, they have done B instead, and they have not found stuff in the opaque box. And her prediction has always been what has always been right. She says, if I predict you'll do A, there'll be stuff in the opaque box. Everyone who's ever done A, which is about half the people, have found stuff in the opaque box. If I predict you'll do B, there'll be nothing in the opaque box. Everyone who's done B, which is roughly 50,000 people so far, have found nothing in the opaque box. So what she's predicted they will do and what her response to her prediction or the signal of her prediction, which is whether she puts something in the opaque box or not, every time her prediction has been confirmed. So you can tell, or let's just say that an impartial judge can tell what her prediction is in advance. By looking into the opaque box, they won't tell you what's in it, but they can tell you in advance. They will know in advance what her prediction is. So she has no magical powers. She only has really good predictive powers. Um, yeah? Those who picked the clear box in the past, Wait, no, I haven't told you what the, what the choice is yet. Well, okay, no, I haven't well, told you what the choice is. get to look in the other box after? No, they do. Yes, everyone gets to look in the opaque box after. Unless okay. they're insane, but no one has been insane. Okay, so um, they get a choice. Of they get a choice by which, no matter what they decide to do, they will know what's in the opaque box. Okay, so I haven't told you what the choices are yet, but in both cases, they get to look into the opaque box. No matter what they pick, they get to. Sorry? I haven't told you what they are yet. I'm going to tell you in a minute. I haven't told you yet. I just really, really, really want you to get that she's made a prediction and that the prediction is something that will be confirmed by what's in the opaque box. Whether if she's predicted one thing, the opaque box will be empty. If she's predicted that you will do the other thing, the opaque box will have something really, really good in it. Um, if you know the Merchant of Venice and the three caskets, it's a little like that. Yeah. That was cheating. Yeah, yeah, but there'd be um, no cheating here. You said she is a mixture of indifferent and generous yeah. towards humans? No, generous towards you. Well, then does she... Depending on action A and action B, if she knows you're going to choose the opaque box, then she is you're, that's feeling not, more generous towards you. you, you, do, you do, no, you do, I haven't told you what the choices are yet. That, the, the, the whole point of this is what your options are, which I haven't told you what they are yet. 
So we're not, we're not done. This is the setup for the situation that we're now in. Okay, now the point. If she says, go to this bridge, I, in the meantime, she says, I'm going back to Mars, and I'm not even going to watch what you do because I'm completely indifferent. That's the indifferent part of her. So she has no power anymore over what you will do. These boxes are there, and she has left, and you are left alone with the following decision. You go to the parapet of the bridge, and there is the box with $10,000 in it, and there's a box that might have a million dollars in it or might be empty. And what she has told you, and she says, I've done this lots before and I've never been wrong, is you have a choice of either shoving the $10,000 off the bridge, just that box, not the opaque box. The opaque box is yours to keep. You have a choice of shoving the $10,000 off the bridge or not shoving it off the bridge. If you shove it, but if you shove it off the bridge, you have to do it before you look at what's in the opaque box. So if you shove the $10,000 off the bridge, you then get to open the opaque box. If she's predicted that you will shove the $10,000 off the bridge. Now, at this point, I want you not to discuss anymore. So I want you to, so this is why I've been so careful to try to set it up. So, um... Before I just go one, nah, I think I've gone too far, so I'm just going to go, nah. All right, yes. Wait, so if you decide... I haven't, I still haven't said, but go on. No, if you decide to shove the $10,000 off the bridge, you have to first look in the opaque box. No, 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 no. Your commitment is shoving the $10,000 off the bridge. So you have, your choice of action is shove the $10,000 off the bridge, incinerate it, destroy it, whatever, or not. That's the only action that you're being asked to choose between. Either push the $10,000 off the bridge or don't push the $10,000 off the bridge. If she's predicted that you will push the $10,000 off the bridge, she will have put a million dollars into the opaque box. So if she predicts that given your knowledge that she's never been wrong, in previous cases where she's made these predictions, if she predicts, let's say that you will trust her prediction of what you will do, and if she therefore predicts that you will shove the $10,000 off the bridge because her the reward for doing that if she predicted that you would do it will be a million dollars, then she'll put a million dollars in the opaque box. If she's predicted that you will say, look, whatever she's predicted, she can't change what's in the opaque box, so why would I shove the $10,000 away when I know that it's not going to make any difference to what's in the opaque box? There's either a million dollars in it or there isn't. Therefore, I won't push the $10,000 off the edge of the parapet because... If there's nothing in it, then I'll have nothing and I'll kick myself because I could have had $10,000. And if there's a million dollars in it, I'll still kick myself because I could have had a million ten. Because nothing I do now is going to affect what's in that box. So if she's predicted that, that something like that will be um, what determines your choice not to push the $10,000, 
is she predicts that you will take two, both boxes and keep them both, she will make the opaque box, she will have put nothing in the opaque box. So the opaque box contains either a million dollars or nothing or world peace or nothing. Um, and the, um, the transparent box contains $10,000 or, I don't know, meta world peace. Um, certainly not worth as much as world peace, but a good basketball player, even if a jerk. Um, do people know about meta world yeah. peace? Okay. Ron Artest, who's a kind of brutal jerk of a basketball player, in order to show that he turned over a new leaf, which in fact he hadn't, changed his name to Meta World Peace. So if you watch certain NBA games, you'll, you'll, say, you'll see stuff like, World Peace has the ball. Oh, no, World Peace is clocking him in the jaw with his elbow. Oh, he's going to have to be out the rest of the season. Um, anyhow, so there's a basketball player named Meta World Peace. His name used to be Ron Artest. So that's my joke. I don't tell many jokes, so you should really appreciate this one. Um, okay, so basically, now to put it in its most schematic way, oh my God, <laughs> you are going to have to listen to the podcast. Um, yeah. Yeah, now listen carefully because I'm going to give the schematic version of it. A predictor predicts what you are going to do given a situation in which you can either keep both boxes, one of which you know contains $10,000, or you can forego the box that you know contains $10,000 and only keep the box whose contents you don't know. The box whose contents you don't know will either have a million dollars in it or zero. It'll have a million if the predictor predicts that you will take only that box. It will have zero if the predictor predicts that you will take both boxes. The predictor has never been wrong in the past in the predictions that she has made. So therefore, when you decide whether to take both boxes or only the opaque box, you will either confirm or refute her prediction about what you will do, but her predictions in the past have never been wrong. Wait, shh, shh. No, she's not definitely right. She's, but she. She's just she could be definitely right. Well, no, she could be right. Here we have. Here we get into interesting questions about modality, but um, it could be the case so that. So is there a fifty percent chance she's right and she's wrong based on the probability we talked about before, or what? You just walked. If she might be wrong, yeah, but she hasn't been right by chance in the past. She's been right because she's an incredibly good. At, um, at sussing people out. She's just a really good reader of people. The way some people, apparently, according to Malcolm Gladwell, who rarely is reliable, um, he says there are these people who are incredibly good at telling whether you're lying or not, um, almost, who are better lie detectors than any lie detectors and are almost always right. 
Um, and being Malcolm Gladwell, he says they're always right, but they're not. Um, in the same way, she can peg the kind of person you are. Remember, yeah, no, I don't want to say more because, because everything I say would then prevent you from going down that avenue when you write about this. But the point is, she's, it's not, she hasn't been right by chance. It's not like in Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead when they're flipping a coin and it comes up heads, what is it, 722 times in a row, and Rosencrantz is still insisting that it's 50-50 each time. That's not it. It's not that she's been right by chance with 50-50 reliability up until now, is she's really, really good at knowing how people are going to react given this situation. She's really, really good at it. Um, and she's so good that she's never been wrong. On the other hand, the fact that she's never been wrong and the fact that she's so good at predicting doesn't affect in any way or doesn't allow her in any way to, to interfere with the payoff once she's left you to it. So she has put it there, and it is there, and she can't touch it now. So she's always been right before, but that's a psychological fact about her. She's, been, she's sussed everyone else that she's done this with incredibly well. Michael first. She says, she says, if I think you're going to do it, I'm going to put a million dollars in there. So if she thinks you're going to do it and you take both boxes, what do you get? Let's just make sure everyone gets the, the payoff matrix right now. If she thinks you're going to, if she thinks, so here are the two payoff matrices that have always occurred in the past. But do you see there are four possible matrices? I mean, there are four possible cells in the matrix. You could write it on the board. Yeah. Okay. Um, 10 to the 6, 10 squared. Um, is this the right way to write it? Take, um, take 1, take both. Okay? So. If she predicts that you will take one, then you will get this. <coughs> okay? So I, I guess the right way to I think do it top would be. You should have written what she predicted. Wait, do you mean take a cube? Why do we have 10 squared? It's $100. Yeah. Yeah, I mean 10 to the 4th. Not to the 4th. Thank, oh, yeah, thank you. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because this changes everything again. Not so much. Okay? So. So this is what she predicts, not what you No, 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 no. So these are the four possibilities. She predicts you'll take one. So let's say this is her. If she predicts you'll take one, that's the Martian, and you take one, okay? then this is the cell that you get to, okay? You get a million dollars, okay? So Martian predicts that you take one, and you do take one, you get a million dollars, okay? Martian predicts that um, you take, oh, no, I am screwed. Yeah. Okay, the Martian predicts you take both, 
and you take both, you get $10,000. Okay? So she predicts... No. Yes. Yes. What? Yes. It... I should not have written this on the board. It's just going to confuse no, us more. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's okay. It's okay. I just, it would take me a second to think about it. And thinking is irksome in a second a long time. Um, light can go 186,000 miles. Okay. If she predicts, so I, I think it's easier to do verbally. Um, if she predicts that you'll take one and you take one, you get a million. If she predicts that you'll take both and you take both, you get 10,000. If she predicts that you'll take one and you get both, you get... No, if she predicts that you'll take one and you take both, you get a million ten. Yeah. A million ten thousand, not just ten thousand. And if she predicts that you'll take both and you take one? No. Zero. The opaque. Yeah. The only one, if you take one, it's always the opaque box. No, I mean, anyone can take the clear box. The question is, are you willing to forego the clear box? Okay, so do we, should we do this again? Okay. I'm there, dude. I got it. All right. It's good you relate then because you would be bored out of your mind. Um, Wait, we've been talking about this for six minutes? Yes. Chill. Okay. So she's going to predict that you will either take both boxes or that you will forego the $10,000. Those are your only choices. Take both boxes or forego the 10000 in fact, we can do it differently. So you can say, oh, but what if I just want to, uh, what if I'm a, a, I'm a hippie free spirit and I want to push the box, both boxes into the water and say, happy birthday to the gorge. <laughs> and you throw it in the gorge. Yes. I threw it on the ground. No, you don't know that? I'm not part of the system. Yeah, I'm not part of your system. <laughs> Welcome to the real world, jackass. You don't know this? Okay, Saturday. Yeah, but not, no, we, yes, you can. No, can we? No, we can't. We as in the royal <laughs> We have. Um, it's, a, it's a great uh, Chris Parnell Saturday Night Live, live routine where he's suspicious of everyone. Someone offers him a, birthday, a piece of birthday cake, and he says, I threw it on the ground. Um, happy birthday to the ground. No, he yells, I'm not a part of the system. Yeah, I'm not a part of your system. And then he says, um, uh, this woman said, cell phone rings, and she says, it's your father. He says, hey, my father, it's a cell phone, so I threw it on the ground. Um, yeah. yeah, okay, thank you. Okay, so in order to prevent you from throwing them both into the gorge, we'll put it this way. You go to the bridge, and she says, okay, when you come back from the bridge, you will find either that I have um, deposited a million dollars into your bank account or into your points or whatever it is that you buy your meals with. Um, you, will, you will find when you return from the bridge that I have either deposited a million dollars into your bank account or that I haven't. So on the bridge now is just $10,000. If I think you're going to throw the $10,000 into the gorge, when you return to a place where you have internet access, you'll find that I've put a million dollars into your account. Um, 
if you pocket the $10,000 and return to where you have internet access and check your bank account, you'll find that I haven't added anything. So the point is that your only choice, and I'm, these are just ways of trying to make it vivid, your only choice is to either keep or forego the 10000 Yeah. Um, but, but to be clear, it's, um, it, she has already committed herself to making that deposit regardless of whether you take the thing Yeah, as you... It's not a yeah, it's a reaction to her prediction, but not a reaction to what you've actually done. So she cannot affect. She has committed herself, and by saying there are two boxes on the edge of the gorge, what you're saying is that box already either does or doesn't contain the money. She has committed herself. Um, the money is either there or not there, no matter what you do. What you do cannot affect whether there's money in the box or not. She's already done it. You would have to change it's the past. who you are that affects it, not what you do. Yeah. Who you are that Ooh. affects it. Drop the mic. <laughs> Throw it on the ground. Because yeah. I'm not a part of the system. Good. Um, except you are because you have to write this paper. Um, and if I think that you're going to write a good paper. Okay. No. Do you guys know the story about risk? Is this part of your urban legendhood still? I heard this as an undergraduate, and then it turned out that my teachers heard this as undergraduates. That there's a guy writing, a philosophy student who's writing a senior thesis on the concept of risk. You haven't heard this? Um, this used to be like everyone always knew a person who knew the person. Um, a person writing a senior thesis, this is in the time of his, his's, his senior thesis on risk. Um, do you know this, Jen? Okay, anyhow, it's not a joke, it's a story. I heard one about somebody who wrote theirs on bravery. Okay, so I'm sure it's the same thing then. So um, the day the thesis is due, it's supposed to be 120 pages or whatever, goes to his advisor and says to her, what is risk? And shows his empty hands and says, this is risk. And then gets an A. Um, I heard that story about her college admission. Like, yeah, I heard. The question was like, what is risk or what is... What is the most daring thing you've ever done? Yeah. Not writing this. Oh, no. <laughs> what is courage? And then they just wrote this, and then apparently they got into college. Uh-huh. Yeah. So this this story this they this also story is a perfect SAT score, so. Yeah, that helped. This story is many, many ages old. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um so again, the possibilities are she has already committed herself. There's no question that she's already committed herself. Nothing you do now will change what she has done when she put the box there or instructed um, the money to be wired to your account or whatever. So what you do can't change the past. Her putting the money into the box has occurred in the past. However, your discovery of what she did in the past will only occur after you make a decision about the $10,000. How do you, and what you could say is, yeah, okay, I go to the bridge. If you can see what's in the opaque box in any way, if you kind of, you know, shake it or look in it and then you're pretty sure what's in it, then that means you haven't gotten rid of the $10,000 before seeing what was in the opaque box. So she thinks, so there's no, there's no wiggle room here. If you find a way to figure out what's in the opaque box before you make your decision, you've made your decision. That's making the decision is trying to figure out what's in the opaque box before making your decision. That is your decision. So you have no way around it. The opaque box 
will have money in it. You can open it whenever you want, but if she thinks you open it before you destroy the $10,000, then it'll be empty, pure and simple. So there's no way for you to gain this system, but the system is entirely her prediction. Yeah? Um, what, is she, what information does she have to base her prediction on everything, your mind? You can, whatever you want. You can have it that she's just um, an incredibly good psychologist who can peg people right away. No. Um, well, for all you know, she's lucky. No, for all you know, she's lucky. But um, if that's what you think it is, then it's obvious what you should do. Um, but her claim is that she's a very good predictor. And so far, that seems more likely by um, many, 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 many orders of magnitude, it seems more likely than that she's just lucky. But you could decide she's just been lucky. That's fine. However you want to do it. But she's always been right. Okay, so, so just to make sure you get it now, if, so the choices are to be a two-boxer or a one-boxer. That's the standard way of putting this choice. Are you a two-boxer or a one-boxer? Mm -hmm. If you're at a philosophy cocktail party and you're, you're just... Um, at a loss for chit-chat, you can always say to someone, hey, are you a two-boxer or a one-boxer? Um, if you say it to other people, they'll think you're weird, but at a philosophy <laughs> party, it'll be okay. Um, so two-boxer or one-boxer. If she thinks that you're a two-boxer, there'll only be $10,000 in the clear box. If she thinks that you're a one-boxer, there'll be a million dollars in the opaque box. The possibilities now, again, there are four possibilities. She thinks you're a one-boxer, and you are a one-boxer. Your payoff is a million dollars. She thinks you're a one... She thinks you're a two-boxer, and you are a two-boxer. Your payoff is $10,000. Okay? So that's what's happened hundreds of thousands of times already, that everyone she thought was a one-boxer was a one-boxer, and they each got a million dollars. Everyone that she thought was a two-boxer was a two-boxer, and they each got $10,000. However, there are two other possibilities. These have never happened, but they are possible. She thinks you are a one-boxer, but you take both boxes. What's your payoff? A million ten. She thinks that you're a two-boxer, but you get rid of the clear box. What's your payoff? Zero. Okay, so the possible payoffs range from zero to a million ten. The actual payoffs historically, in the hundreds of thousands of times that, this is, that she's done this before, have always been either a million or ten thousand. No one has ever gotten nothing. No one has ever gotten a million ten. So that's the situation. The paper is... What would you do? What should you do? And why? Yeah. Can we go into it? Can we go into it knowing exactly what the two options are? That if she thinks we will do option A, and we do option A, then um, I mean we don't know that she thinks it, but if we do option A, and then and that's what she thought we will get the opaque box. Yeah, you know. Yeah, basically, pretend that everything that I said was true. Okay, that this really was happening to you. Okay, so now make it as vivid as you can. 
um, make this real money, make this a real possibility. So um, don't just, so I want you to make this as vivid as you can and ask yourself, what would I really do if I were presented with this? Not eh, in theory, you know, I would do this, but make it vivid. It's always happened. You really care about this money, and it's always happened. Um, she's never been wrong. What would you do? And as I say, do it as a do it as a story, do it as an argument, do it as however you want to do it, um, but do it in a way that um, basically um, is something like what she would have expected you to say. Let's say that. Yeah. That now you're asking whether you can stuff you can do in your paper. You can do anything in your paper. Um, any Destroy way, any way that's going to help you. <laughs> not even answering the question. <laughs> no, no. Any way, make an argument for. Say what you would do. Say why. Um, you can do it in as hoity-toity or literary a way as you want. Say what you would do. Say why. Um, and make it convincing that that's the right thing to do. Um, Wait, 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 whoa. Write with conviction for yourself. That is the right thing to do? Yeah. What would you do? That's silly. No, because there's only one right in the rational sense of thing to do. No, there isn't. No, stop. No, no more discussion now. We're not going to argue it. You're going to argue it in your own mind. So do not argue with your classmates. Do not look this up on Wikipedia. Do not read the extraordinarily extensive... Literature on Newcomb's problem? We have done this in class, though. A, a very similar problem with the, the two prisoners. No, it's a little different. It's very similar. If you set up the chart, it looks Okay, like no more discussion. Okay, this is where we are. So, and you can bring, as Amanda is hinting she might, um, whether rightly or wrongly, you can bring in anything that is helpful to you from our discussions in this class. She knows you've taken this class. Um, because you have, she knows that about you, or at least she can. At least that's priced in to her judgment about the kind of person you are. This class has been life changing for you, right? So she prices that in when she looks, right? Yes. Good. So she um, uh, bump them all up half a grade. Um, so she prices that in when she takes your measure. Um, yeah. Is the question what should you do or what? What would you do and why? That's better. And what, would, what would you do and justify yourself? Yeah, I can justify myself. Yeah, okay. I claim that what I make is okay, right stop, stop, stop. Yes, what would you do and why? For some people, that will be what's the right thing to do. If there's some way you can argue that without saying it's the right thing to do, fine. But what would you do and why? Where the answer is not, oh, you know, money means nothing to me because I'm a free spirit. No. That's not going to get you. Well, maybe it, it's not going to get you a good grade. On the other hand, a good grade will mean nothing to you either, right? So you can do that if you want. But it doesn't have to be money, right? It could be something that really matters. It could be um, that your that your favorite presidential candidate wins the election of 2016 versus your favorite party wins the next 20 presidential elections. It could be, as I say, cure for juvenile diabetes versus the end of global warming. Um, it Just make it matter. Whatever will matter to you, if you write it, you know, and I strongly suggest that you write it in a way 
think it and then write it in a way that it matters. You know, if you're perfectly happy doing it surely as the as um, an analysis of inequalities and you don't have to even think of it as money, you can think of it as utiles if you want, go ahead. But if you want to make it vivid and make it a really hard um, problem for yourself where you're giving up the end of global warming for the sure thing of curing juvenile diabetes or you're giving up the sure thing of curing juvenile diabetes to stop global warming, do it that way. Make the stakes matter. Make one stake really matter and the other stake matter a lot more. But they should both really matter. Okay? Oh, that's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> and do no research on this. Ken. Um, and you said that a short story form is acceptable. Yes. Yeah. I'm very excited. Sorry? Um, yeah. Yeah. Yes. What would your strategy, if given this dilemma, would be to make the, the thing that matters less not matter to you? You can't change it. You didn't decide what goes in the box. But it's saying No, that's fine. If you can make something that matters not matter, then the uh, mediocre grade that you will get for trying to slip out of it that way won't matter to you either. We'll, we'll, yes, you we'll will. See. We'll talk okay. about we'll, this once I get my... my we'll see. Okay, no more discussion about <laughs> it. among, Not among yourselves and not in class. Questions, saying. yes. Discussion now. Kevin. Do I enjoy this class? Can it be a little bit longer than seven pages? Yes. Yeah. I, I, I'm chill with seven. Okay. Okay? We set? We cool? Yeah. Five to seven, yeah. All right, is that Okay. All right. So is class over now? No. <laughs> no, class is starting now. What time is it? Good. What is time? What is time? Yes, Kara. No, if she predicts you'll pick both. She'll put nothing in. Look, she will, she's rewarding you for two things. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's rewarding you for trusting her. You could put it this way. She rewards you for trusting her prediction. And Do you know her prediction? No. <laughs> Wouldn't that be sweet? I retracted my question before you answered. Okay. She predicts you for trusting her to predict you right. She, she rewards you. Excuse me. She rewards you for trusting her to predict you right, and she punishes you for not trusting her to predict you right. That's another way of putting it. And the reward is a million dollars, and it's partly a reward because you're not that greedy, and you don't um, insist on the million ten, and the punishment is not zero, but ten thousand. But, but there is an optimal thing that you could get, which is the million ten, or global warming plus no more juvenile diabetes, and there is the, um, the worst case scenario, which is you get zilch because you trusted her, but she was wrong. Okay? Is it clear to everyone? Yeah, I'm there. I wrote it. <laughs> okay, is it clear to everyone else? I created it. Yeah. Uh, Do you think you could send out just like the basic ideas of this in an email, just so we have, because there's a lot going on. 
I got you, Sam. Yeah, I'll do it. The email is going to be two lines long. Um, but just under, I really, it's going to be two two lines long. But understand that her predictions have always been right. Okay, so the emails is she predicts both. What the email is going to say is if she predicts you'll take both, there'll be nothing in the opaque box. If she predicts you'll only take the opaque box, there'll be a lot in it. Okay, and the other box has has good stuff in it, but not nearly as much. Okay, yeah. With regard to looking it up on Wikipedia, if you predict that we look it up on Wikipedia, then I send it back. <laughs> um, no, you don't know what that's an allusion to either. You guys don't watch well, much maybe TV. I do. Yeah, what? What? I have no clue, but what yeah. if I did? That would be neat. Um, <laughs> a, it's a great episode of The Office. Oh, the salad. Yes. Yeah. I was thinking it. I didn't See, that would be neat. No, no, but it is the salad. Yeah. You put the sauce on the spaghetti, I send it back. You put the spaghetti in the salad, I send it back, says Steve Carell, desperately trying to sound as cool as the other guy. Yeah. Um, are we assuming that we'll know what will be in the opaque box if there is something in there at all? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you know what the stakes are. You know the stakes. You know the stakes. Okay. Yeah, you know the stakes. You just don't know um, her prediction. Okay? So, speak now or wait till you get the email. Five. Yeah. But the email's going to be two lines. Yeah, the email will only be two lines long. Okay? But make it, the, the reason I spend so much time on this is really make it vivid for yourself. Don't just say, oh, it's clear what a rational person would do. Um, it might be clear, depending on your idea of rationality, but the point is to make it as hard, make this as hard a question as you can, not as easy a question as you can. This is what I urged you to do with Pascal also, was to make it as hard a question as you could. So it wasn't a question of do you believe in Pascal's Christianity, but what if it is something um, that, that could be li lively for you? Yeah. A week from today. Ooh. All right. Ready to go back to Mont Blanc? Good. Is that when the take on finals do also? No, it's uh, due. I think I've decided it will be due at the end of finals. You can email it to me. But I can turn it in at any point. Yeah. Right? Yes. Yeah. But again, don't, you know, for both the take home final and for this, this is all coming out of your minds now. Do not be doing any research, any investigations. For the take home final, we will go over the irrationality of the square root of 2 again. We will go over um, the proof for transfinite sets um, for more irrationals than rationals between 0 and 1, which we haven't done yet, but we will do that next week. Um, learn it. Take as many notes as you want. Take copious notes. Read up about it. Do whatever you need to do. But when you sit down to do the final, do it closed book, closed screen, closed phone, closed door, closed roommates, etc. Okay. Yes. Closed two roommates. Okay. Yes. Um, I think you might find it better with pen and paper because you're going to want to um, draw diagrams. Um, but what you can do is then um, take a cell phone picture of it and send it to me or scan it. That's fine. That's what people do. Okay. If you have, 
There's a, I think it's for Android, but it's definitely for iPhone. There's a really sweet app called Jotnot, J-O-T-N-O-T, which is essentially turns your camera phone into a scanner. Um, and you can then send a PDF of something you take a picture of. Um, it'll rectify documents. That is, you take them at an angle, but they'll come out the way they're supposed to. And then you can send PDF documents. Um, I've sent official PDF documents well, for I them. Mine. No, there's a free version. There's Jotnot, there's Jotnot this Pro. This question is blowing my mind. Can we move on so I forget it? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, especially if you don't need diagrams. Yeah. You type it up and just click diagrams. Like yes, yes. <laughs> Anything you want, just show me you know. I'm testing this right now. You're testing Jotnot. Yeah. Okay, good. All right. <laughs> I think that happened a while ago. All right, back to Mont Blanc. Are you ready to talk more about this poem? Good. I'm glad you are. Um, <laughs> you look so unhappy. I'm looking at you. Yeah. Uh -huh. No, you don't. No, I've seen you look happy. I have. Ah, happy. Good. That's your happy face. Okay. So where we were in this poem, which you've all brought out now, right? The thing doesn't work at all. Everyone knows. <laughs> it, it works so well. It doesn't work. It does. Okay, maybe there's a learning curve here. Does anyone ever write philosophy in an organized manner when there are so many tangents to take? That would be the trick in learning to write philosophy papers that Jen will help you with. Gosh, Jen. <laughs> okay. What we were looking at, just to bring us back to the irreality of the mountain, the non-reality of the mountain, what we were looking at was, here's the situation, and again, the background of this is, is a Kantian background. It's a question about the existence, you could say, of something greater than the mind. So going back to Dickinson, um, going back um, to Shakespeare even, um, there's a general argument for skepticism. This is the argument that you get in Descartes. The general argument for skepticism is everything that's in your mind, by definition, is something that could just be in your mind. You have no access to something that's not in your mind. So by definition, everything you can know, you can know. Nothing that you can know that can't be known? Who said that? Look. Uh, no. <laughs> no. No, no, no. John Lennon. Um, Second guess. Yeah, I, I could tell. Um, everything that's in your mind, by definition, can be in your mind. And therefore, the external world, the only access we have to the external world is what we can bring into our minds. And therefore, we don't have any access to what transcends what's in our own minds, what could be in our own minds. So that's one argument for skepticism or solipsism. Do people know what the word solipsism means? I used it the other day. Um, what does it mean, Kay? Um, it means um, believing that you are the only entity in the universe that can be 
universe and that the universe exists inside your own mind. He's just king of definitions. Yeah, yeah, because we're all a figment of his mind. Um, so it comes from the Latin word solus, meaning alone. It means you are the sole thing in, your, in the universe. So solipsism, I alone, only me. Um, everything else is just what I'm dreaming, a figment of my imagination. You recognize that from Descartes. Um, so solipsism is very, very difficult to disprove on its own terms. Descartes tried. Um, because anything that you can point to is something that you can think. But anything that you can think, any thought that you have, is already in your mind, and there's no way to say, well, it's from something beyond me. So part of the sometimes called scandal of skepticism is that we have no idea how could we, how you could disprove it, because any disproof <coughs> itself is something that's in your mind. So there's no way to know how to disprove it. So Descartes tries to come up with a way of disproving skepticism. And the first step, and the step that we paid attention to in this class, is the idea that the one thing that I know for sure is that I at least have a mind. I don't know anything beyond that, but I know that I have a mind. Um, he then takes a second step, which is highly controversial, but which versions of it are what's at issue here. The second step is this. There's stuff that I, knowing my mind as I do, could not have come up with alone. There's stuff that I can think about that if I, who am not someone who knows everything, how does Descartes know he doesn't know everything? Very simple. How? Kara? Because he, he, he doesn't know if the external world exists. So if he doesn't know the external world exists, he doesn't know everything. He's limited. So he says the very fact that he's puzzled and that he doesn't know whether the external world exists proves that he doesn't know everything. And therefore that he's an imperfect being. Because if he were perfect, he would know everything. But he's an imperfect being. So he doesn't know whether the external world exists. That makes him imperfect. Um, but he has this concept of perfection. If he knows he's imperfect, he knows it because he has this concept of something else, which is what's not imperfect, the negation of the imperfect, or that which the imperfect negates, namely perfection. But he couldn't have gotten that concept from himself because he's imperfect. Just as we can't get the concept of infinity from our own minds because our minds are finite. So that concept, says Descartes, must come from elsewhere. It must come from something which is perfect, namely, again, by definition, God. But if God exists, and then this is how Descartes reconstructs the entire external world, if God exists, which he must because otherwise I couldn't have the concept of perfection. Um, and if God is perfect, which he is by definition, because that's where I'm getting that concept, it's certainly obvious that a perfect being wouldn't be trying to make me believe in a world that didn't exist. 
because that wouldn't be very perfect of him, now would it? Therefore, I can trust God. God says the external world exists, and therefore I believe the external world exists. That's Descartes' reconstruction of the external world. It has to go through God, and God has to be something that the mind by itself couldn't come up with, but that imposes itself on the mind. So Descartes has a really elegant argument for being able to think about something that isn't only in the mind, that couldn't come out of the mind itself. It's an argument that it's very easy to argue against, but there's something there. He's, he's, he's come up with a really interesting philosophical move there that looks like it escapes a trap, the trap of whatever is in the mind is in the mind, and that's that. It looks like he's found a way to escape that. It's controversial, it may not be an escape, but it's a possible escape hatch from solipsism. Yeah? So, I'm, I'm a little bit confused about um, when you said that you, you, can, you can kind of either understand or imagine uh, infinity and perfection, both of which obviously don't exist within yourself. Mm -hmm. I mean, I find that hard to believe that, that you can imagine infinity because I, I know I certainly cannot. But where did you get the idea of infinity? Okay, I see what you're saying. So the idea that something can be infinite even if you yourself cannot actually imagine it. Yeah. Okay. I mean, one of the things that happens at the end of Neuromancer is it seems pretty clear, this is one of the things that Gibson is playing with, it seems pretty clear that um, Neuromancer doesn't have the concept of infinity. Um, he has a concept of totality. And um, that is to say, every finite number in the cyberspace that he's controlling, he controls. He, he can, there's no number that, let's say, there's no number or no array or no um, set of registers within cyberspace that Neuromancer um, isn't able to assimilate into his own artificial intelligence. Um, but he doesn't have and doesn't need the concept of infinity. It's a finite world. It's an absolutely finite world. Cyberspace, all the questions that Zeno and Aristotle ask about the edge of space and so on, they don't apply to cyberspace. Um, cyberspace is only a network and um, Neuromancer has complete control of the network. Um, the idea of an edge of a network is not, it, it just doesn't come up. It's not, it's not an idea within a network that you would hit an edge and what's beyond that edge? Um, things in networks are only connected to other things in networks and anything in the network is connected to something else in the network and that's all fine. So that's how cyberspace works. Neuromancer has total conceptual knowledge of that, what he has no concept of and doesn't need a concept of is the infinite. Um, humans do have that concept, or we seem to. So the argument that Descartes is making is, well, we have that concept. Um, it can't come from our finite minds. Therefore, it has to come from elsewhere. Therefore, our finite minds is not all that exists. Um, that's what Kant, in some ways, will say as well that there are things that are causing perception, and whatever it is that causes perception is beyond simply 
the mind that's perceiving. Um, that's what he calls the ding on sich, um, the idea that there is something causing perception. Um, okay, what Shelley and what the Romantics are doing is they are interested not in the finitude of the human soul, which is what Descartes began by assuming, but in the infinitude of the human soul. The idea, which in some ways goes back to Plato, um, in a lot of ways goes back to Gnosticism, the idea in Romanticism, and Shelley was one of the greatest of Romantic poets, the idea in Romanticism is that the human soul has, is deeply connected to the infinite. Not to the finite, but the infinite. Now, this idea is actually in Kant as well, and the Romantics on the whole um, thought Kant was, were heavily influenced by Kant, influenced him probably, um, and um, thought in, in poetic terms, but in poetic terms that were consonant with Kant. Mm -hmm. And the idea in Kant and the idea that the Romantics um, are dealing with in their poetry or exploring in their poetry, um, Wordsworth will say that infinity is our home. Um, the philosopher Hegel will say that the ether um, by which he means the universe itself as the ethereal place, not the ether in Descartes' or Einstein's sense, but the ether as the universe itself, is his homeland. That's his proper home. Um, the idea in Kant, who is the origin of all this later philosophical um, discussion, is that we are both empirical beings. There's that word empirical in Kant that is dealing with the lives that we deal with in real life, in everyday life, in the life of the world that we live in and negotiate and interact with people in. But we are also noumenal beings, that is to say beings who exist and who we believe ourselves to be, who exist in a world that transcends the empirical world. So that to be a human being, to belong to the kingdom of ends, to use one of Kant's great phrases, the kingdom of ends rather than of means. Means is the world of science where everything causes something else. But to belong to the kingdom of ends means that we are also, we have within us and what makes us human is something transcendent. Um, transcendent where? Well, Kant likes to think it's essentially Christianity, but um, he doesn't care. Um, all he cares is there's something that transcends our empirical life. The word for Kant's philosophy is, as some of you may know, anyone know? The school that he started? It's called transcendentalism. And what the word transcendental means. If you know what transcendental med meditation is, you've heard it. It's a word that people use but misuse all the time. To. Sorry? Isn't it leading to? Leading to infinity. Um, we talked about this before. Now I stress it. It is vectored towards the transcendent. So transcendental means headed in that direction. It doesn't mean that we can reach the transcendent, but it means 
that our destiny and our um, uh, um, the place that our minds at their deepest are vectored towards and focused on is the transcendent. And the transcendent, and this is what Kant is um, says when he's talking about the sublime, the transcendent is that which transcends all empirical reality. No matter how threatening or crushing or overwhelming some empirical experience is, the Swiss Alps, Mont Blanc, Mount Everest, the Grand Canyon, the universe, the galaxy, black holes, whatever, no matter how overwhelmingly greater those things are than the human mind, the human mind can do a kind of bounce back where we get in touch with what is transcendental within us and the transcendental is headed towards the transcendence of everything transcendence of the entire universe so the mind in Kant in the experience of the sublime the mind and the world are in a kind of confrontation where in round one the world overwhelms the mind the world is large and we are small. But in round two, we are, through our own smallness, our only choice is to recover ourselves by reminding ourselves of our transcendental or our supersensible destiny. And then the greatness of the world stops being simply something that makes us little, the greatness of the world rather becomes a measure for the even greaterness of the soul. So what we're going to do in the three minutes that remain today is look at the very end of Mont Blanc. So go to stanza five. And what's happened in the poem up to this point is that there's an amazing kind of struggle between Shelley and himself to try and take the measure of the mountain. And every time he tries to say something about the mountain, he looks up and, no, the mountain is more overwhelming than he realized. He keeps trying to turn the mountain, you could say, into an object of thought, but the mountain keeps overwhelming his capacities to think about it. From a Cartesian point of view, that's a kind of proof of the external world. He's saying, I couldn't imagine this mountain without seeing it. I couldn't imagine it without seeing it. It was unimaginable. But now he tries to contain it within his mind. And then he says, OK, I've got it. And then he looks at the mountain and he says, actually, no, I don't have it. The mountain's even more tremendous than I thought it was. So finally, it looks like he gives up at the end of stanza four. The mountain is beyond the size of thought, is what he seems to be saying. And then he gives you a pure description of the mountain in stanza five. Mont Blanc yet gleams on high. The power is there, the still and solemn power of many sights and many sounds and much of life and death. 
in the calm darkness of the moonless nights, in the lone glare of day, and the lone there is the same lone or solace of solipsism. The snows descend upon that mountain. None beholds them there. So the mountain is indifferent to being perceived by humans. The snows descend upon that mountain. None beholds them there, nor when the flakes burn in the sinking sun, or the star beams dart through them. Winds contend silently there and heap the snow with breath rapid and strong, but silently. So all of this is indifferent to humanity, to the human mind, to human perception. It's home the voiceless lightning in these solitudes keeps innocently and like vapor broods over the snow. The secret sense of things which governs thought. So things govern thought. Remember the everlasting universe of things flowed through the mind. Now the secret sense of things which governs thought. And to the infinite dome of heaven is as a law inhabits thee. So the mountain utterly overwhelms the mind is what he's saying. He is totally given over to the mountain until we get this last question. And what were thou, he says to the mountain, what would you be? And earth and stars and sea if to the human mind's imaginings silence and solitude were vacancy. The answer to that question is you would be nothing if the mind wasn't blown away by what you are. The fact that I'm so blown away by your amazingness is in fact a symbol or sign or measure of the human mind's capacity to be blown away which is a capacity that comes because the human mind is itself something even greater than that thing, which is just nature, which is just matter, which is just vacancy unless the mind perceives it as something beyond that. Everything in the mountain that's amazing about it and infinite about it, he says, is coming from the mind. So it's a poem that I really recommend you memorize. It's one of the great poems ever. It's a poem that will sustain you all your lives if you memorize it. Um, and the extraordinariness of the poem is the measure of the competition between the sublime in the world and the mind that is the actual source of the sublimity it perceives. Um, OK, on Monday, we will do contours proof. So you won't want to miss that if you want to do well on your final. Have a good weekend.